0: Coming up in this episode, Randy and I are going to answer a listener's question, and also we'll talk about the Harley-Davidson M8 motor. What's good, what's bad, what to keep an eye on. So stick around.
1: Shut up and sit down.
0: Welcome to Random Thoughts from the Road on the Ozark Rides digital network. Conversations about motorcycles any random thoughts that pop into our head, and of course, one of the best places to ride in America, the Ozark Mountains of Missouri and Arkansas. And now, here's your host from OzarkRides.com, Craig Allen and Randy Lewis. When Mother Nature and the Mother Road come together, you know it's going to be something special. Wide open roads and quirky stops define the 33-mile stretch of historic Route 66 in Pulaski County, Missouri. Filled with breathtaking scenic drives, throwback diners, and plenty of historic stops to explore. You'll want to see them all. Some of the highlights along the Mother Road include the Uranus Fudge Factory, serving handmade confections and cheeky fun in a vintage setting. Devil's Elbow. Named for the Wicked Bend in the Big Piney River and home of the famous Devil's Elbow Bridge. Historic sites like the Trail of Tears Memorial, 1903 Courthouse Museum, and the Old Stagecoach Stop. And don't forget the three impressive waterways, including the Big Piney, the Gasconade Rivers, and the Rubidoux Creek. This has the potential to become one of your favorite rides ever. Come say hi to Mother Nature and the Mother Road. Check out turn-by-turn directions at visitpolaskicounty.org to find even more impressive stops. Motorcycle accidents happen. And sometimes victims choose to handle an insurance claim independently. Seeking compensation for damages is not easy without an experienced motorcycle accident attorney in your corner. Schmidt Law Firm has more than 75 years of combined legal experience and are revered as top Kansas City personal injury attorneys. They understand what is at stake in your case. Motorcycle accidents happen. Schmidt Law Firm will prove negligence and help you get full recovery. Find them online at kansascitylawyers.com. Put Schmidt Law Firm on your side of the table because motorcycle accidents do happen. The bike that has taken the world by storm has now landed in the U.S. That's right, the new Honda Navi is here. The Navi features a no-clutch, no-shift
1: automatic transmission. Its compact size means you can park it just about anywhere. And the Navi's 110cc engine is very fuel-efficient. But best of all, the Navi's shockingly low-price. Easy to ride, easy to own. That's the new Honda Navi, available now at Heartland Honda Sports Marine off Exit 72 in Springdale.
0: Well, welcome back to another episode of Random Thoughts from the Road. I hope this episode is finding you in good spirits. How are you, Mr. Lewis?
1: Man, I'm upright. I am and upright. And that's
0: all, you're upright, you got a beer, it's nine yeah. o'clock in the morning. What, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I have
1: no idea. For the next little bit, nothing. Nothing.
0: Well, all right then. Let's just get right to it. had a, a guy email me last night uh, a question about something that will come into both of our wheelhouses. His name is Sawyer. He's from Springfield. That's not far away. Yeah,
1: right around the corner.
0: Yeah. His email reads this way. Hey guys, recently bought a 2000 Sportster with low miles, about 6,700. Been riding for a while now. I have never really traveled on one. I intend to add a few things to make it gravel road worthy and would like to take a few overnight trips to Arkansas and the surrounding areas on it. The first time taking it out, I blew the crank seal given its age and the amount of time that it's been sitting, I anticipate that this won't be the last. What components, and this is for you, would you recommend replacing or at the very least checking to prevent these failures further from home? Additionally, any tips on getting into traveling on a motorcycle would be greatly appreciated. And when he says traveling, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm assuming he means uh, kind of a little bit longer distance touring. So let's address the issue of uh, being on an old Sportster and making it dirt road worthy and semi-maintenance
1: free. Well, good luck with the semi-maintenance free, honestly. That's just going to be something that's, nothing's maintenance free.
0: Well, no, it's mechanical. It doesn't matter who (laughs) or what, it's going to break down.
1: Yeah, so I've actually converted a lot of Sportsters to dirt bikes or Baja style bikes, off-road bikes, whatever you want. Typically what i found is the best combination is a set of 14 inch rear shocks something a little bit taller for a little bit more suspension travel Now i don't know how tall sawyer is so that might be that might be something that's not very good or it might be something that's great depending on his size is going to really define the nature of what shocks he puts on the back i find that Burleys aren't bad there's a set of olin shocks there's there's a bunch of different shocks depending on your price range progressive makes a bunch of them you can select them with extra tuning capabilities as far as the valving and then the preload on the springs themselves so that's the first thing i would do is i would probably bump it up to a 14 inch tall shock on the back now you're talking about an old bike that's been sitting for a little while one of the things that i would check is the fork seals because they're going to get dry just like your your crank seal that just blew up on you or whatever you can change the fork seals you can go to a cartridge style front end for a lot more suspension tuning much like a dirt bike would be change out the fluid that's in the front forks because it's probably going to be old it's not going to be have the same viscosity it might have dissipated a little bit so while checking the fork seals you can at least just change the fluid back out to get good fluid into it the other thing is is on a sportster you're going to want to check the transmission main shaft seal where your sprocket your front sprocket goes there's a seal behind that sprocket. It's easy to access. There's a secondary cover on the right side of your Sportster that you could pull off and access that not a huge deal, but it's going to keep you from having leaks from the transmission primary out. The other thing that I would do is probably flush all of your brake fluid out. Just go ahead and do it. If it's been sitting for a while and if you haven't done it already, brake fluid breaks down over time. It'll turn to tarnish. It'll gum everything up. It just creates adverse problems. Typically, guys will be like, oh, the brakes work just fine. What they don't see is the the condition of the fluid. Well, when bad fluid starts to eat away at your brake lines, your caliper seals, they might work pretty good. But eventually, what you'll have is a caliper stick on you. You apply brakes, then it doesn't want to release right. Or you'll get what I find to be a, the biggest issue is, is you have a feed and a bleed hole in your master cylinders. The bleed hole usually gets plugged up and that's what causes your brake calipers to stay locked up or not be very responsive. So doing a good thorough cleaning and flushing on your brake fluid would be a must in my opinion. So those are the big things to look for on that with an old bike. Now with an old bike, I find that you might end up having valve cover leaks, you know, base gasket leaks on your cylinders, little things like that. Because as you start applying heat and heat cycles and start using this thing, those old gaskets would more than likely start to dry out. And then that's when you're going to find them, you know, simultaneously one at a time, start blowing out and creating little leaks or stuff like that.
0: In my mind, this is stuff that you would want to do preventative anyway, particularly if you're talking about riding a lot uh, in the rural parts of Arkansas. Yeah. Um, you don't want to have a breakdown where there's nobody around. Right. And so personally, I would get all this stuff done, get those boxes checked right out of the gate before I did any serious
1: yeah, yeah. long distance rides. The flip side. What of about
0: the- tires? Talking about going to off-road a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. The flip side to what he's wanting to do, if he's wanting to travel a lot and stay on the highways. Or if he's wanting to travel a lot back road, there's
0: a delicate balance between the two.
1: There is, there is. Now I'm not a huge pimp for, Hey, let's put these Chinese, this on it, or Chinese that on it. But there is a tire that is pretty economically sound. And it's an overall pretty good tire for what you're asking. It's the Shinko 804 slash 805 tire. It's a big, wide, chunkier block does really, really well in gravel and loose dirt, but then it does pretty well on the road as well. You do see a little bit of tire noise on the highway, especially if you're running higher speeds, 60, 70 miles an hour. You're gonna have a little bit more tire wine is what I call it. Just noise out of your tires. But they're pretty good tire on the road and they're a pretty good tire off the road, back roading, gravel roads, stuff like that. Okay. Now there's other tire brands out there and there's you know, if you were to come in my shop, we'd really nail down percentages of what you're riding, where you're riding, and, and try to find good tires for it.
0: And since he's close, remind kids of where your shop is.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're in Urbana, Missouri. We're Straight located, up 65. Yeah, we're right on 65 Highway. Easy to find, easy to get to. So
0: Okay. Anyways, now the second part of that question, when he coined the term traveling, I'm going to assume that means Longer than a day ride, whether yeah. it's just overnight or longer than that, and not having any experience with that. And feel free to jump in here if I've missed something. I'm old and forgetful.
1: Say it ain't so. It,
0: it's, it's so. Anyways, right out of the gate, I would do nothing. What I mean by that is you're going to go on YouTube, and if you do that sort of thing, and talk to other people about, oh, you've got to have this, or you got to have that. You don't got to have anything. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've ridden cross-country on an old, naked, regular bike with nothing. Yeah. And I'm still alive. So what I would do is start to travel. Do an overnighter. And when you're riding, whether it's off-road or on-road, think to yourself, well, you know what would make this a little bit nicer if I had X or yeah. if I had Y? And then buy it at that time. But don't start purchasing things for your bike just because you heard it was the right thing to do because nothing is the right thing to do. It's an all individual deal. Yeah. And most of the people that are on YouTube and stuff that are trying to, uh, schlock oh, these shit. things, they're getting, they're getting paid back for that. Uh-huh. So it's self-serving. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I wouldn't, um, uh, do anything and then go- do it as you go.
1: Here's a couple things that I would say about that. Not knowing like the guy or anything or the genetic makeup. Is it an 883 or is it a 1200? It's what a sportsters? Oh, it's a 1200. Good. A couple things that I would think about. So when you talk about. I put a skid plate on it. There you go. I was just going to say, when you're talking about off-roading and say you are gravel road riding or if you're dirt trail road riding, whatever you're doing, mid controls are really, really good for that. For whatever reason, like I found that it gives me. I feel more planted to the motorcycle or whatever it is. More control. with Yeah, with mid controls. But then you start stretching out miles and running down the highway and going long distance. It's nice to be able to stretch your legs out as well, right? Yeah. I'm not a big fan of crash bars or engine guards or highway bars, whatever you want to call them. Especially in the off-road setting because they're wider. You talk about fitting through small gaps or whatever. You got a highway bar out there and it it takes up that space. But on a Sportster, there is a way to convert to a forward control on it. There's places on the frame that allow you to bolt pegs on further forward. I would probably do an assembly to where it was low mount pegs that are further forward, but then keep the mid controls. The pegs will fold up so it keeps it really slim if you want to, but you could also have them folded down and put your legs out further forward if you're trying to run down the highway long distance. A skid plate would be nice. There ain't much of shit on a Sportster. I mean, the frame is super narrow as it is. A skid plate is just kind of, eh, okay. If you're trying to go true off-road, like over rocks, through through dips, whatever you want, a skid plate would be nice. It keeps you from scratching a bunch of stuff up or putting a hole in your case that kind of hangs out a little yeah, bit.
0: Yeah, and there again, we don't know if he's talking about doing exclusively off-road or if he's yeah. talking about traveling on the pavement, and finding a dirt road and going down it for a mile or two.
1: Exactly, exactly. So a lot of that stuff's kind of like suspenders. You have
0: to factor that in. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So those, those, that's something that I would do. Now I know on the Dinas they make these. I'm sure a Sportster they probably make them. If not, you could find you a good aftermarket shop or a custom shop that can build you bracketry. But saddlebags. You talk about traveling distance. You want to carry something, right? Yeah. Maybe an extra pair of chonies, whatever it might be. Particularly if he's camping. Yeah, yeah. So they make rugged saddlebags and packs. Don't just buy the stupid 50 or 60 Willy Max throwover saddlebags that are Amazon leather stuff and, or whatever. Yeah, that it flops around and you have to zip tie it or tie it off all the time. They make rigid tube mount mounts for saddlebags that sit inside of this basically mount. So it kind of gives a little protection from bumping into stuff, but then it's a hard case saddlebag that you can lock and a lot of them it's a quick release you just it's like a a, a suitcase that you could pull off right right yeah so that in my mind i would probably do something like that
0: well the other thing that uh, might come in handy and depending again didn't mention it at first because i don't know what kind of riding, uh long distance he's talking about would be some type of a, a windbreak some type of a fairing yeah uh, you can go as little as one of those little bullets. I think they look cool, but they're not really effective.
1: Yeah, yeah, they aren't. They look cool, and that's about it. That's
0: it. Or you can go with uh, you know, a barn door.
1: Yeah, so, see, that's such a flipping tricky situation right there.
0: Yeah, it is. So it all depends on what your comfort level is and what you like to do. So I hope that answers some of your questions. If not, well, give Randy a call at BikeWorks.
1: Works. Yeah. Lastly, I, there's one more thing I want to add to that. The stock bars on a Sportster those times freaking are garbage. I hate them. hate the positioning, hate the shape, hate everything about it. Well, they kind of turn in, don't they, a little bit? Well, you could have got a drag bar, like a T-bar or a drag yeah. bar, or a, I think it's about a four and a half or five inch tall riser that has the instrument cluster on it. And then it has a couple of like little, little small upsweep bars or actually they're straight on some of them, most of them. I would probably go to about a six inch tall riser and you can get them to fit pro taper bars that have a really big fat meat in the middle, but then taper down to your one inch. I'd probably go to a six inch tall bar with a two and a half to a three inch tall rise bar on it. It's going to get you in that somewhere, the seven or eight inch tall bars. It'll be more
0: natural position for your arms and and shoulders. And and you'll have a lot more control over it. More control and you won't be as fatigued at the end of the day. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: So there's that. Now to the main event. (laughs) Now weighing in. Uh, Harley Davidson, the new M8 Motors. Are they new? I
1: mean, they've been around since like 17.
0: Well, it's their latest. Yeah,
1: it's their newest. That's kind of
0: what I'm meaning. Okay. Read between my lines.
1: I got something you can read between.
0: <laughs> the old three finger salute? Yeah, yeah, buddy. <laughs> um, Good motor, but like any motor, doesn't matter what brand, like any motor, it has its good points and its bad points. Yes. So take it away.
1: All right. So... Flash.
0: The first thing, I'll, I'll preface this. I'm reading a lot about the M8 motors and their breather.
1: Yes. Blowback. Yes. So flashback to 2017. They really, they really had this issue on their first generation of those motors. You know, 16, 17 to 19, I think is really about where it, it was really relevant at. And it wasn't on every single motor. It was a select... Few, and it was more to do with how you rode than anything else. So what the big issue is, is crankcase ventilation. And what happened was, so flashback to the Evolution-style motor. And the reason why I'm going back to that is because the new M8 is somewhat similar to that. So what would happen was, is your oil bag was suspended, you know, right underneath your seat, higher than the crankcase. What would happen is the weight of the oil sitting on the check valve in the oil pump would eventually pass by the check ball in it and then it would leak oil down into the crankcase so then you start it well that oil has got to go somewhere on the first generation non-breather head ones there was a port that basically just went out to atmosphere so if it sat for a little while and you had a a weak check valve spring and a, a ball that wasn't polished or whatever it would puke out a half a quart of oil out onto the ground, relatively. And everybody hated that. Well, then they went to the breather head style. Well, you had the same situation. Oil would pass by, get in the crankcase, you'd start it, and it would pump all that oil through the crankcase ventilation system, into your breather, on the side of your motor. People are still pissed, right? Flash forward to the M8s. The M8s are now a single cam design, much like the Evo motor. they got a different oil pump on them, obviously but the same symptom happened. Well, what what happen was, is you would get what was called sumping and it would fill into the crankcase and then it would puke it out the breather. So when ones didn't sump, what you would have is you'd have excess amount of crankcase pressure. And what would happen because of the oil bag design on the new motors, it was kind of where your transmission was, it would build that pressure and what you would have is called fluid transfer. You would have fluid transfer from your transmission to your primary. Now, the reason why that is, is in in the genetic makeup of it, on the right side of the bike is where your clutch cable goes to, or your hydraulic cable goes to, whatever. You have a rod that travels through the transmission main shaft because it's hollow, and that rod is pressed when you pull the clutch in. Whether it's hydraulically or cable, it's pressed. And what that does is it travels through your main shaft and presses on your clutch hub, and that's what releases your clutch. So what was happening was is there was excess amount of pressure and oil was passing through that hollow shaft and going from your transmission to your primary well what would happen is you deplete the oil in your transmission and it would add it to your primary so that's that's that side of it and as well you also had something where excess oil was getting into your crankcase Robbing the engine of power, robbing the top end of oil, and creating havoc on your engine. Sounds shitty, right? It does. A lot of problems, a lot of issues. You know, Harley's been around since 1903. How stupid are they? Blah, 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 blah. All that bullshit. Anytime you try to create a new mold, you're going to have hiccups. So the biggest issues they found were the first generation's oil pumps were allowing the something issue to happen. Well, in 2019, they redesigned their oil pump, and they got rid of most of those issues with it. You now, what they haven't gotten rid of entirely was the fluid transfer problem. So there's multiple kits and multiple little remedies for that. The first, they all
0: have their bad side and good side. There's no perfect solution. No. no and this really was all isn't. because they're trying to
1: appease the EPA. Yes, EPA can suck one, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, I mean, I don't give a shit how you feel. Global warming, not global warming, whatever. Frickin' Harley Davidsons and cars running up and down the highway are not, in my opinion, no, I'm a I'm a retard. And if you don't like that word, whatever. I don't give a shit.
0: There is no such thing as politically correct in this place. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, uh, I think a lot of it is just moot. It's all bullshit. There's other things factoring in. If you are a real big global warmers person... There's bigger problems factoring in that are unregulated, unchecked, and passed by. Stop fucking on the little guy here who's just trying to make his bike or car or truck be better. Anyway. There's our sidebar. Off that. So the biggest things that they did were change the oil pump out to the updated version. Got you by. Did really, really well. And the other thing was, is it's called a top hat and new seals on that push rod and the transmission side of it to eliminate the amount of oil and the possibility of oil traveling down the push rod, getting into your primary. The next thing was vented, better vented transmission top covers.
0: Yeah, like the Trask unit.
1: Yes, exactly. Better ventilation there. Well, anytime you can release a little bit of that pressure, the less problems you're going to have. Then they also had vented dipsticks for your oil bag. Again, releasing a lot of the excess pressure helps everything work better. The other thing which has proved to be probably the better solution is on your inner primary, back towards the back above your transmission, up at the top of it, so you don't get a bunch of oil come out of it, you would drill a hole and it would get tapped and you would put a fitting into it and then there was a tube that came off of it that ran down underneath the bike. That, in my opinion, has been the best solution for the fluid transfer problem. And again, all it is, is eliminating all the crankcase pressure and all the internal pressure in these separate units within a Harley to alleviate all that fluid transfer, something, all that stuff. You flash forward from the first generation 2019, a truthfully 2019 is yes. The first year that they had quote unquote fixed their problems. After that, you know, 20, 21, 22, and on to now, I don't see as many issues or any issues at all. They've kind of fixed their wagon, so to speak. Yeah. Um, Now, the engine is a great engine, in my opinion. I like the single cam, less drag, less moving parts, more horsepower to the back wheel, more torque. Now, they have, it's a multi-valve head. I'm talking like. On the head, you're, you're talking about four valves, you know, two on the intake, two on the exhaust, as opposed to just a single valves. Better airflow makes more power, right? Different CCs, as, you know, as far as the size goes, you're talking about back in the day, 88s, 96s, 103s. Shit, now uh, first generations were 107s. Now you're pretty much standard with 114s and 117s. And then the big inch ones are, you know, 125s, 132s, stuff like that. So we're a lot larger in size. Harley's is making the most amount of stock power they've ever made with an engine on these new M8 motors. And then when you go to the aftermarket side, you're really up in the size of it and you're really up in the power levels. Of you have it.
0: more of a base to work with.
1: Yeah, exactly. You just got a bigger hammer now. So that's kind of the big issue, so to speak, with the M8s. Now, what I found was all that stuff was really conducive to guys that were long hauling. When I say long hauling, I'm talking like eight 800 miles a day long the hauling. The
0: iron butt type of guys.
1: Yeah. We saw it more in those. A lot of those guys were you know, keeping them hot longer, higher RPMs. And then the guys that absolutely just raped their bikes. Like, you know, the guy that pulls out of a parking lot, he's revved it. 20 million times before he even gets to the highway to pull out. And then he pulls out and in first and second gear, it's pinned to the hilt just as hard as he can accelerate. Those were the guys that I really seen the issues with. The guy that just hopped on it moderately, you know, didn't rev it up a whole bunch, took off conservatively, slowed down, just toured the thing. I didn't see as many issues with.
0: With regarding to that issues, and this is not the M8 motor, do you see that as an issue with the older motors? The
1: 103s, the 96s,
0: no, it's I've not no, really
1: an issue? I've never really seen issues out of the 88-96-103 twin cams. Um, now, over time, yeah, you get a little bit more oil into your breather. But as time goes on, you have to service the ventilation system as much as you have to service anything else. Yeah. You know, the way it works is crankcase pressure gets vented up through the cylinders into the heads. And in the head, there was breather ports or whatever you want to call it that sat in between the rockers and they had an umbrella valve, basically a one-way valve, so when pressure it puff out, and then as it was on its relaxed port of it Closed back up. Yeah, it closed back up. And then on top of that you had a little filter that tried to catch all the oil that it could, but still let air go out. And then air would eventually be pushed out through a breather channel where your air cleaner bolts on, those bolts are hollow. And that let air There's travel out.
0: Banjo fittings, aren't they?
1: Uh, no, not not on the twin camps. I mean, on some aftermarket stuff, yeah, they, it got a banjo bolt, depending on your air cleaner makeup. But the most of them were just hollow, and all it would do was have a little rubber tube that clipped onto the end of it and then ported back into your throttle. Wire. Oh, that's right.
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: So in theory, all that was traveling out was air. Well, that air just got ported back into the intake, and that was it. CPA. Suck it. So what would happen is over time and over use, those filters would get saturated. That umbrella valve would get a little bit weak or brittle from the heat and then the oil, because oil is a chemical. It will break down rubber parts over time. So what would happen was, is those would deteriorate to where more oil was passing out of it with the air. And then that's when you have the oil build up on your air cleaner and dripping out of your breather and stuff like that.
0: So there you go. Just do your damn maintenance. hmm And you're not going to have a problem.
1: Yeah, run good oils. Be easy on the, or be good to the thing. Or if you're going to rape the shit out of it, understand you're going to have things like that that you have to service more often. Service more often,
0: yeah. So what do you like about the M8 that's different from the older twin cams and so on?
1: I like that they are slimmer. The primaries are narrower. They don't stick out as much, you know, laterally left to right they're not as wide and i love this the fact that they're a lot larger cc engines you know back in the mid 2000s you were spending 15 grand on a 120 inch motor or bigger than that now we're getting that cubic inches out of a stock motor it's slimmer they run a little a lot better than an old carbureted whatever and they're making good power and then you could still go up from there And Harley has the M8, um, screaming Eagle motor that you could literally buy a stage five motor and take your old one out and put that one in, maintain all your warranty factors. You maintain all that. Now you've got a lot of performance with a motor that's warrantied. If the check clears,
0: you can get anything you want.
1: Exactly. So that's what I really do like about them. They are a little quieter engine wise. I mean, on the twin cams, you had a little ticking out of the top end it was always there. Hardly couldn't be part get rid of the of design. It. Yeah, it was just what it was. Now there's a thing to fix it. It's called a rocker locker. It kind of locks the rocker plates a little bit more solid, eliminates that a bit more. But on a twin cam, you had two cams. So a rear cam, front cam, and on that you had a chain that ran from your crankshaft to usually the rear cam. And then on the other side of the cam plate, you had a chain that ran from one cam the rear cam to the front cam. Well, with that, you have two tensioners. First generations, 88's up to 06. You had spring-loaded tensioners. Big issue. It was the big problem with the twin cams when they first came out. You know, after, at first, I think it was like 50,000 miles, you had to check them. Then it vastly dropped to 40. Then it went to 30,000 miles. At 30,000 miles, you had to check these tensioners. Because what would happen was, is the shoes would wear down. And as they wore down, particulate would get put into your oil pump and if you didn't check them they wore down to the point where the shoes would break themselves well all that material goes straight to your oil pump if you were to run it even further than that well now you have a metal spring on your metal chain guess what you're putting metal into your oil system and that's a domino that's effect about? yeah exactly so that was the big issue of the first gen twin cam 88s go to 2007 they go out with the ninety six. They do hydraulic tensioners, which in my opinion, these guys that I have come in, anytime they talk about that, I'm like, you got three options. You can replace it with the stock style tensioners and you're checking them in 30,000. You're going to have the same issues over and over and over and over. The next thing would be gear to gear, gear drive cams. Good. Sure. But on those first gen crankshafts, you would get what's called run out. So the crankshaft should spin 100% perfectly true, right? Over time, they'll get a little bit of a run out to where now they're not going in a tight, perfect little circle. They get a little wobble to them. Well, when you throw gear drives onto a cam with more than two to three thousandths inch of a run out, well, now you have gear bind. And if it gets bad enough, you'll break those gears, break the cam and destroy the lower end. So I'm not too enthusiastic about gear to gear. Now, it was a good option to get rid of all tensioners. Average pricing on those is gear drive cams are around $400. The gear drive assembly is another four to $500. So you're talking about $800. Just in parts. In cams, yeah. And then the best solution, in my opinion, is to convert to hydraulic like the 96s on your 88s. Now, what you get in those kits is a new oil pump, new cam support plates, all new gears, all new chains for your cams and your crank to your first cam, but you get what's a, it's a hydraulic tensioner. So hydraulic can only apply so much pounds of pressure, right? Through clearances, they're really freaking good. The shoes don't wear out. You don't have a hard spring with one preset tension, applying force onto your chain. It, it will float a little bit with oil pressure and, and still keep it tight. That in my opinion is the best conversion you could possibly do.
0: Cool. Well, let's wrap it up right there because we're starting to bore people. Hmm. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And if you have a question that you'd like to pose to either Randy or myself or both, go to OzarkRides.com and go to the podcast page and just fill out the questionnaire, if you will. Any question is welcomed. Doesn't matter. Doesn't even have to be motorcycle related. Yeah. So we like doing that. So we'll just let it go there, and until the next time, always keep it on the road, be safe, and keep it on two wheels.